Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this place be cursed all works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkadi in your divine arms, and we ask you to lead it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed and please be seated. Greetings to you, saints. Today we will turn to the Sermon of our Apostle. This is going to be the sermon from the topic called to perfection so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The Apostle clearly writes about the fact that this is a commandment that which we have read is in a commanding format doesn't mean that you can do this or not do this here we are referring to the fact that this is in the format of a commandment and as we have already talked about before and pondered upon the fact that in order to fulfill the law we ought to know how to fulfill it because many saints go to fulfill commandments but they nothing ends up coming of it and given that they were incorrectly instructed about how to fulfill this commandment, they endure shipwreck in faith. They say, this word does not work. Why does it not work? Because you do not have the correct faith. But everyone says, I have a Christian faith. I'm a Christian, they say, a, a Christian of the faith teaching or Baptist or a Pentecost. But we are referring to correctly understanding the commandment and being taught to fulfill it we must have a statute and this statute could be taught to us by a teacher in order to accept this statute we need to accept the teacher because many steal one from the other they try for some kind of truth to work however it does not work because it has been stolen it is not was not in the heart of this person he is not sent by God to speak this word and as a result this is going to be uh, simply a, a shaking of the air. But we know that to accept the commandment and to begin to fulfill it, we must fulfill a number of conditions. Without any doubt, this person 
who is going to fulfill the commandment, he must be a member of a local church. He must accept over himself the legal authority. He must have a covering over his head and not just to accept this legal authority. He, this source must be trusted because many say, yes, I accept this person in my life. Yes, he is my pastor. However, they don't trust this source and they they feed from a completely different source. So there is a number and a set of conditions. This commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all time and it is addressed by Christ to his disciples. Note, this is referring to discipleship. It's not talking about that this person is a free listener. He comes when he pleases, but this is referring to discipleship. One must accept the teacher. Therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and will likely never have a relation to it. With regard to the fulfillment of this commandment, to be vigilant over the word of God in our heart, as God is vigilant over the word spoken by Him, in the temple of our body, we stopped to study the purpose, or rather the following question. I will first read the, the foundational place of Scripture, and then we will move forward that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. As we had read, with in con- connection with the fulfillment of this commandment, to be vigilant over the word of God in our heart, as God is vigilant over the words spoken by him, we stopped at the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of man. Specifically, what specific goals is the righteousness of God in our hearts called to pursue, which we are called to collaborate with? Apostle clearly says that this is the essence of perfection to which God has called us to, that we can be vigilant in the temple of our body over the word of God hidden in our heart. Many saints, they stumble at this place of scripture which we have read above and they say, well, how can I send the sun and send the rain? And how can I be like the Heavenly Father if I don't know how to do this? We have noted that God has called us to be vigilant in the temple of our body over His Word that has been hidden in our heart. Because God is vigilant over His Word in the temple of our body, and therefore, from there, from the temple of our body, He shines with His Son on the just and on the unjust, and from there, from the temple of our body, He sends His rain on the just and on the unjust. It turns out that God does not do this with some kind of physical method, he does this through us, from the temple of our body. And we are not referring to the literal sun and literal rain. When here we talk about being perfection as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we are not talking about the literal sun or literal rain. 
But we are talking about our ability to be a light to this world and our ability to give life to this world in these rains. What kind of world? The world of those that are saved. The world is separated to those that are saved and those that are condemned. Those that have rejected salvation and those that have rejected salvation, the sun must scorch them and our rains must drown them because God initially has spoken in His word and He has ratified on the mountains of Gerizim and Dibal blessings and curses and therefore God is not tolerant. And that's why from the position of our meek lips He wants us to be as He is so that we can represent His perfection so that we understand that evil company distorts good morals. What kind of evil company? So that we shall not have fellowship with him, with them and in doing so, so that we can intend them for destruction because they themselves have already determined this. We have stopped to study the fact that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart accepted by us and the broken tablets of testimony in which we, in the death of the Lord Jesus, with the law died to the law, that we could, in the new tablets of testimony that testify the resurrection of Christ, that we could receive justification, so that we could live for the one who died and rose for us, so that in this manner we can gain affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of testimony that signify the resurrection of Christ in order to give the basis in order to give God the basis to give us the promise to be an heir of peace not through the former law but through the righteousness of faith just as he had given to Abraham and his seed Romans chapter 4 verse 13 for the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith Apostles talks about the fact that the covenant of peace in the heart of a warrior of prayer is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God in the words of the messenger of God. The faith of God is information, information that comes from the preached word, and therefore the faith of God is the generalismus, or rather the main commander in our heart. And our faith is our irrefutable fulfillment of this word. This is how the faith of God differs from our faith, because the children of God do not distinguish the faith of God from their faith. In doing so, they think that this is one and the same. But this is not one and the same. When Scripture says, have the faith of God, this is one thing. And when it is said that Abraham believed God, this is completely different. Abra this means Abraham submitted to the word of God, or rather, to the faith of God. And so, according to what signs should we test ourselves to see if we have the reign of the peace of God in our heart, which identifies us as sons of peace and as holy unto God? To test our hearts for the subject of the reigning peace of God in it should be done by the ability to be a peacemaker, which characterizes us as sons of God. As written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Who is a peacemaker? Apostle says that a peacemaker is someone who has in himself peace with God, the state which could not be violated by anything or anyone, 
and nothing can penetrate into this state. And only this kind of person can be a peacemaker. To be a peacemaker is to have the wisdom of God to practice peace among the saints. And if you have peace with God, then you are going to practice peace with one another and not violate it. This means that you are going to stoop down to one another's level and not spread negative information about one another and will cover one another. In a certain format, we have already studied six signs according to which we can judge and define that we are the sons of peace and therefore sons of God. And we have stopped to study the seventh sign, the seventh sign by which we must judge of our partaking to the sons of peace. This is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or selective love of God. Apostle says that the word selective is holy. Selective is holy. If the love of the holy God and it is holy, it can't love everyone the same. He can't love everyone the same and he also hates certain people. He hates the wicked and he loves the righteous and is enticed by them. This place of scripture. But above all else, put on love. An apostle provides a commentary to this place of scripture and we will continue further. You see, this is not God that will clothe us. It is us that are, we are going to clothe ourselves in love. Many saints say, well, the love of God has poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. Why else do we need to do something? Here, the Word of God says that we need to, above all else, put on love. And we can clothe ourselves only through the Word of faith, through the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Because a person is justified by his words and is condemned by his words. So with his words, he either clothes himself or rather catches himself in a snare. Our words are snares. If our words are going to represent the will of God, then we will catch ourselves in the snares of the kingdom of heaven. But if our words are going to be our interpretation, personal interpretation, and we are going to interpret scripture on our own, we're going to catch ourselves in the snares of the wicked one, thinking that we have caught ourselves in the snares of the kingdom of heaven. And there furthermore it says, above, above all else, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Furthermore, this means that we ought to know the perfect words that meet the requirements of God's established law so that we can proclaim it as the faith of our heart, as our belonging, and be clothed in it. And then it says, and let the peace of God reign. So what is called to reign? The peace of God. The peace of God is called to reign in our hearts. And it is going to reign in our hearts when we are friendly. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. You know, friends stoop down to one another's friend in a lot. They, they, they do not stoop down to everything. And when someone says to a friend, 
why did you, were you not offended by the word of this person but here you behaved in this manner he says well this is my friend that's why i was not offended i know what he means by the word that he has said although he is saying this word i know his heart his relationship to me but you i do not know you see there is a difference in this in scripture the selective love of god is presented by the holy spirit in the light of seven unearthly virtues or components through the preached word of the apostles and prophets which according to their essence are the unchanging properties of god apostle says that this is the property of the divine character which we are called to be taught by and which we are called to grow in our heart because it is in us in the format of a seed we have been born from this seed but this seed must be grown in or so that we can look like our father let's read these virtues it's virtue knowledge self-control patience godliness brotherly love and love this is second peter chapter 1 verses 2 through 8 in a certain format out of the seven available characteristics of virtue which in their totality determine in our heart the goodness of god we have already examined five components and stopped at the sixth one. This is our calling to show in brotherly love the love of God agape. The presence of this sublime and noble component in the testimony of our faith transfers us from the state of eternal death to the state of eternal life. We will turn to the following place of scripture. This is written in 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. We know, so take a look, it says, we know. This is not we feel, but we know. This is not referring to our feelings. There is no place for feelings here. There is a place for information. The faith of God, it is based on information, not that which I feel or you feel. Furthermore, it is written, we know that we have passed from death to life. Although there might be hell in our feelings because there's a great battle going on in our body, a great battle for our bodies between the old man and between our uncircumcised mind and between the mind of Christ, which is the mind of our spirit. And therefore nothing good can be there and we should not judge our spiritual level or nearness of God according to our feelings. Oh, I'm not feeling good. This must mean that the Lord has left me, or on the contrary, I know that God is with me because I feel good. We cannot be led by these feelings. As we said, there could be a lots of different chemical promises in our body, and it might be good for us, uh, it might be bad for us. Sometimes people take... Uh, prescription medicine this could affect a person but this should not affect our faith our faith is not based on our feelings emotions or uh, prescription medicine our faith is based on information we ought to leave these feelings and lead them after ourselves we must bridle them and lead them after ourselves we must not be led by our feelings furthermore we read because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
when we are talking about information, we are talking about faith. Feelings and emotions are not faith. As you heard many times from our Apostle, this could be good wood that could burn uh, under our worship to God. But that's it. Our, our feelings shall not, shall not go before us. Faith is not based on feelings. It is based on information. And faith in a person can grow only when this person, only when he will be a disciple. Let's again read another place of scripture. This is going to be Hebrews chapter 1, 3 through 5. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, not things seen. By faith, we know that from the invisible was made the visible. We hear the word that the apostle speaks. We accept this word, but that which he says, we see that we see that it is not in us, but all of this has already been fulfilled by God. Here it is said that God has created the world in such a way that so from the invisible came the visible. He spoke and this appeared. This was not there, but he spoke and it appeared. In this regard, as in the previous components, the virtue of God and His unique goodness to us, which we are called to show in our faith in seven components, we had to answer four classic questions. First, what does Scripture say about the power of brotherly love, which we are called to show in our faith in the love of God agape, that is poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit given to us? Second, what purpose is the power of brotherly love called to fulfill, which is evidence that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit? And third, what conditions must be fulfilled in order to receive power to show brotherly love in our faith, which is evidence that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us? In a certain format, we have already studied the first three questions and have stopped to study the fourth question. By what signs should we test ourselves for the demonstration of brotherly love in our faith, which is called to be evidence that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us? Given that the first sign according to which we should judge that we demonstrate the power of God's agape love in our faith was already the subject of our study during our previous service, we will turn to studying the second sign. But I want to quickly remind us of this first sign. The first sign that we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith should be according to our ability to judge the cause of the poor and needy in court on the basis of the law of righteousness. Apostle says that under the poor and needy, we are referring to our innermost man. We must deal with his case in, in court. He, we need to deal between him and the new man. Our renewed mind, our prince, must deal with this judgment and stand on the side of our new man and condemn the old man. The second sign, which we have started to study but did not finish to the end, the second sign that we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith, 
which will be evidence that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts, should be lack the lack of the organ of stumbling in our heart. Apostle says that it is found only in those people who have no love of God. Ask any kind of Christian whether he loves God. They're going to say, you are crazy. Of course I love God. Any person will say this. Any Christian will say that they love God. Otherwise, he would reject his own faith. He loves, but the question is, what is this love expressed in? And how does he view this love? Because the majority of Christians, they look at this love as something that is a feeling, as an expression of emotions or feeling. But this organ of stumbling have those people who have who do not have the love of God. Let's take a look at what this organ of stumbling is. If there is the love of God there, there is going to be a lack of stumbling. If not, there will be stumbling. A person is going to stumble on the Word of God. He is going to stumble on the holiness of God, his morals. He is going to stumble on the morals of the Messenger of God, their words, the interpretation of their words, they will stumble and say that God is not just in relation to them. Somehow he had magnified, David an apostle says, that he had heard. He heard from one of those that had left the church and who had led people away after him. He says, what is this person, this wicked, was saying, what is the apostle preaching about? He is preaching about this adulterer, David. He is magnifying him. An apostle says, it is not him who magnifies David, but God magnifies David. God magnified the man according to his own heart. This is clearly written there. But the fact that he sinned, then God blotted it out. And in doing so, these people are saying that they did not acknowledge the sacrifice of Christ because with his sacrifice, with his blood, Christ blots out sin from God's memory. When the righteous falls, he remains righteous. He runs to God, confesses his sin before the anointed one of the Lord, and God blots out his sin from his memory. And of course, these wicked and lawless people do not acknowledge this factor. Because their father is devil. Their father, devil, does not acknowledge this factor. He constantly runs before God with this kind of piece of paper and says, take a look, and he shows the sins of the past which were blotted out. The Lord looks what we are going to say in this time. What is going to be our proclamation? Are we going to once again say, oh, I am a woeful sinner, or are we going to proclaim the faith of God? Because when He shows God this piece of paper, at this time, we hear this suspicion towards us. When He reminds us of our sins, and this will be the correct proclamation, we say, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I am justified by the blood of the living one. God has blotted out my sins and they are not before my face. Depart from me, Satan. The Lord rejoices that he has already done this on his side and has contained this and placed this in his word. And when we have hidden this word in our heart, now it depends on us 
when this thought comes, well, do you remember? I don't remember anything because I have forgot, because the Lord has blotted out and the sin is no more. And when the Holy Spirit uncovers before a devil and says, take a look in my book, this sin is not written. But in your book, it is there. But in my book, it is not. Psalms 118 verses 165 through 168. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your revelations, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your revelations, for all my ways are before you. Let's remember what stumbling is, how this word is defined. Stumbling is resentment, temptation, defeat, the barrier between man and God. It is the rejection of your good conscience. It is shipwreck in faith, a fatal ulcer. It is the devil's trap, the devil's snare, in the devil's net. I had provided several examples of stumbling. I think perhaps I'll provide them again. When a person thinks and says, why do I need a local church? This is an organ of stumbling. This person does not love the law of God. And <laughs> when he says, how is it possible to trust only one person? This person has an organ of stumbling because he does not trust the source and of course he therefore cannot be taught anything he cannot be a disciple what kind of veil must be on this person he says my pastor is Christ I've heard this this proclamation many times when people say my pastor is Christ it's written that Christ is the pastor commander he does not attend to someone specifically it says that he is the main the a shepherd under him are pastors that are the lawful authority in the life of a person when a person says my pastor is christ this is the organ of stumbling this person does not love god does not love the law of god why because he is trying to understand scripture with his own mind this person also says i have my own bible when you hear these know that this person has an organ of stumbling when he says, I have my own head, this is an organ of stumbling. How can I call the inexistent as existent? What kind of a lie is this? This is an organ of stumbling. Yes, the Word of God says that this is faith, calling the inexistent as existent. And this is what we have been instructed by our teacher. Tithes. This is... People say, I pay tithes. When you hear the words, I pay tithes, or a gathering in the church, this is an organ of stumbling. This means a person has this organ. And this organ can't be cut out anyway. It can be removed only together with the old man. He must not be allowed any word. He must be tied and placed in prison. And in doing so, we take the word from the anointed one to dwell in this word, proclaim this word, and then it, it will be good to a person. 
stumbling upon the path to the law of God is the result of lack toward of the result of lack of love toward the love of God, whereas the lack of stumbling on the path toward the law of God is the result of our love to the law of God, which discovers itself and the desired fulfillment of the law of God. Thus, for the law of God in the format of the teaching of Christ to be ratified in our good heart, it is necessary to enter into a covenant with God in which we are called to proclaim with our lips the teaching of Christ as the faith of our heart. And so, first, the law of God is a unique program of God in which God has hidden and contains His inherent properties and virtues. Apostle says that this program, this program can be placed in a programmable device which is called a good heart, a heart that is cleansed of dead works. And only there this program can be carried into. An infant that is constantly swayed by all kinds of winds of teachings, he does not understand how to distinguish good from evil. This is the unique program of God. The law of God cannot be placed in this kind of heart. It will not find a place in this kind of a heart. Despite the fact that this person reads the Word of God, proclaims it, whatever Christian you may ask, in a majority of cases they say, yes, I read the Word of God. I even proclaim this Word. But they don't have a place for the Lord in their hearts. They have holes for foxes and nests for birds. They hear one preacher and then the other, the third one, the fourth one. Only when this person leaves his nation, the house of his father, and his corrupt desires, or rather with the cross of the Lord Jesus when he dies and rises up in a new new format and in a new virtue, dignity, only then his heart is going to become a programmable device of the Lord. Second, the law of God. It is the order of the divine theocracy revealing itself within the boundaries of the kingdom of heaven. Apostle clearly says that in a person is the kingdom of God in us, for as it is written, for the kingdom of God is in you. It is not somewhere, it is found in you. And given that we are the temple of God altogether, then the order of the kingdom of God must also be in the church itself. And this order is not democracy, but the order of divine theocracy. Third, the law of God is the watchman of God, standing on the protection of the holiness of God, the boundaries of which are the format of the commandments of the Lord. Fourth, the law of God is the good purposes of God, goals of God, containing in themselves the great destinies prepared by God for those who love His law, and the retribution of God for those who oppose His law. Good destinies of God for people who love the law of God are called to be contained in the unique programmable device of God, which is the heart of people who love the law of God. Proverbs 29, verse 26 says, Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Good destinies prepared by God for people are an imperishable inheritance preserved by God in three dimensions, in heaven, in the sanctuary, which is a chosen remnant of God, and a wise heart. And this inheritance is ready to be revealed toward the end times through faith in salvation. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Apostle says, So when can we come to a living hope? Only after we, with the cross of the Lord Jesus, die with the law to the law. So when we die to our nation, to the house of our Father, and to our carnal life, and only then we will be able to be presented to this living hope. And furthermore, this place of scripture says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. A wise heart, Apostle defines, the wise heart of a person chosen by God as a programmable device of God is God's hallow, God's property, the sanctuary of God, the kingdom of God, and the dwelling place of God, in which the law of God dwells and in which God finds rest. And if it is kept in heaven, then it is kept in our heart, because these three vessels, the church, the heaven, and our heart, are the three vessels that communicate with one another and this is ready to reveal toward the last times that's why we have in ourselves the following property patience we have this promise we know what it is comprised of we know it's the precious the value of it and we with patience wait for the fulfillment of it and with each day our trust becomes all the more firm despite the fact that with each day there is something destructive occurring in our life, in the sphere of our flesh, in the sphere of what is visible. In the sphere of what is invisible, we become even more strong. Through this strength, God will completely restore the visible sphere. As Abraham it is written, the more he grew old, the more was the strength of his trust in God. Why? For he looked upon the reward. He looked upon the reward, upon the promise. Why do people lose peace? They don't look at the promise, at the reward, as Moses and at other prophets has, have had done. They all looked for the wise heart of the chosen remnant of God as the programmable device of God, is hallowed unto God, God's property, God's sanctuary, the kingdom of God and the dwelling place of God in which the law of God dwells and in which God finds rest. Christ finds his comfort there, for he has a place to lay his head there. When revelation enters our heart, this revelation searches for rest. In order for the revelation to be fulfilled and to be accepted, it needs to be calmed. How? Do we how do we comfort God or His revelation? When we thirst for revelation and accept it, so that with readiness we are ready to fulfill it. What does it mean to, to fulfill? To fulfill means to look upon it, to call the inexistent as existent, and to proclaim it, tell one another about it, and communicate with one another about these promises. Take a look. Each time we talk about principles, the principles of faith, there are talks about how we must proclaim. We don't see this, but we proclaim it, trusting this source from which we accept information. And this information we lay 
and place in our heart. The law of God, as unique and sacred program of God in the heart of man, finds its expression in such legislative institutions of God as in the commandments of God, the statutes of God, the ordinances of God, the precepts of God, revelations of God, the legality of God, the holiness and truth of God, the court of God's righteousness, the rights of God, and in the covenants of God with man. Proceeding from such strict requirements and such a respectful attitude to the commandments of God, which are the legislation of God, Apostle brings to mind several signs by which we should experience and determine our love for the love of God, according to the absence of stumbling in our hearts. As written, great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Psalms chapter 119, verses 165. The sign by which one should judge that we do not have a stumbling lock is by our entry into our portion, which consists in keeping the law of God. So many think that something portion is something that they must receive in a material sense. If I am appointed something, there is my portion, give me that which belongs to me. However, the word of God says, You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. A biblical portion is an inheritance expressed in the possession of the land promised by God, given by the Father to His children, on the basis of the will agreed upon by Him. And in this passage of Scripture, such a portion and such an inheritance is a legal authority for the right to abide by the law of God. It's not a physical plot of land, but it is the legal authority for the right to abide by the law of God. Not all people have a right to do this. This is referring to when a person has this kind of portion. In this law of God, which is the program of God, containing the collection of all the promises of God that stipulate eternal redemption. Considering that the programmable device of God can only be the person who, through the preached word of truth, was born from the seed of the word of truth. It follows that the spirit of a person born of God, who came to the full measure of the stature of Christ, is called to become a programmable device of God, which can be the bearer and spokesman for the program of eternal redemption. And therefore, without having a legal right presented in the format of a negotiated will, giving the authority to the right to abide by the law of God in order to manifest love for the law of God, it is impossible using human efforts. As it is written here that my portion is to observe your words. The phrase to keep the law of God means to fulfill the law of God, to bear fruit to God, or to put on the law of God, by which we should mean the endowment of our mortal body in the redemption of God, in the face of a new man created according to God in Christ Jesus, in righteousness and holiness of truth. The Apostle provides the following four next steps, by the implementation of which we will be able to enter into our inheritance or into our calling in order to keep the words of God that stipulate the law of God, and thus to become the programmable device of God in which not only our spirit and our soul will be involved, but also our earthly body clothed in a new person. 
the first step for the possession of legal authority which gives us the right to observe the law of God in order to be clothed in the redemption of God in the face of a new man created according to God in Christ Jesus is the power of the will passed on to the heir. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while a testator lives. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 16 through 17. The power of the will stipulated by the testator and transmitted to the heir, which allows him to keep the law of God in order to put on a new man, this is the power of a mutual covenant with God that is made between the testator and between the heir. A law of God is presented in the circumcision of the foreskin, in which was contained the truth of circumcision of the heart, making a person a partaker of the body of Christ. To be led into Christ is to be led into the depths of Christ. Let us read Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 through 4. And I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you in their generations. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And I will establish my covenant for an everlasting covenant to God, to be God to you and your descendants after you. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant, and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. The goal that God pursued in this covenant is to give Abraham and his descendants as an inheritance the whole land of Canaan as an image of all the promises of God yielded by the imperishable inheritance for the bride of the Lamb. On its own, a given covenant is an agreement between two parties in which each party was responsible for fulfilling its role. The violation of this covenant by one of the parties discredited the covenant and it lost its force. The role of Abraham and his descendants in this covenant was to circumcise for the Lord the foreskin, under which there was an image expressed in the necessity of circumcision of the heart. The role of God in this covenant was that if Abraham and his descendants circumcised their heart, then God takes responsibility upon himself to introduce Abraham and his descendants into the inheritance of the land of Canaan, which meant the imperishable inheritance prepared by God for the people chosen by Him. And it is comprised of the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. The inheritance is comprised of the body to receive an imperishable body. The land of Canaan is an image of the body to receive the body as an inheritance because it is found in the control of the law under the watch of the law. Because in our body lives the old man, and that's why we cannot be found under the watch of grace, under the law of grace. Apostle says that when we accept by faith, God, through our faith, imputes to us, and we begin to reign in the grace of God, and it reigns. Despite the fact that this has not yet been fulfilled, for God it has already been fulfilled. You see again the principle of the faith of God, 
you proclaim this has not been done but for God it has been done you don't see this but it is already there he views this as fulfilled he says that in the necessary moment I will fulfill this in the dimension of time but you ought to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and to call the inexistent imperishable body as existent you know that despite the people of Israel there were also the circumcised Egyptians and there were other people that were also circumcised but we are referring to the fact that they did not become the people of God because of this in order for this to work it was necessary to proclaim God as their God to cling to this nation to conduct circumcision but this was only the outer part many Christians also accept baptism and water by faith thinking that they have already done everything they need to do. Yes, we have been baptized in water according to faith. Yes, we made a covenant with with God in baptism and this is and we think that this is enough. But no, we ought to in this have a circumcised heart. Furthermore, apostle says that the selection of the people was called to be expressed in the circumcision of the heart which gave them the right and power to enter or to put on the imperishable inheritance of Christ and God. It should be noted that in this situation, circumcision of the foreskin was not the covenant itself, but a sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant, which consists in the circumcision of the foreskin, is, in fact, not a covenant, but a sign and an indication of the covenant itself, which will be circumcision of the heart. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 16 through 20 says, Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him, and to Him you shall hold fast and take oaths in His name. You see, this was written in Deuteronomy, and this was to the priests, their people. And this is not talking about circumcision of the foreskin, this is talking about circumcision of the heart. And it is spoken about clearly, and Apostle highlights this. From the existing provision of the law, it should be borne in mind that if the priests approaching God will hope for the sign of the covenant expressed in the circumcision of their foreskin, but at the same time they will not circumcise their hearts to enter into a true covenant with God, their hearts will remain stiff, by virtue of which they, when approaching God, will be rejected by God and destroyed by God. As was with the two sons of Aaron, Because they had two stiff hearts, they did not circumcise their hearts. They relied on the circumcision, the foreskin. Because an uncircumcised heart is evidence that a person's heart remains stiff. Stiffness of the heart is evidence that a person opposes the law of God and does not love the law of God and therefore cannot possess the great peace of God, which is a property of God in the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven. 
Due to this, a category that is circumcised with its heart will become a stumbling block for a category with an uncircumcised heart on the way to the realization of the great peace of God, which is the Lord's Sabbath, which is called to calm and comfort the chosen ones of God. In the same way as water baptism, in the presence of an uncircumcised heart, it is a testimony that a person cannot love the law of God, but can only use the deposit of salvation given by God for his own selfish purposes. From the existing provision of the law, it follows that a person with a circumcised heart loves an orphan, a widow, and a stranger, because God gives judgment to the orphan, widow, and stranger because this person in his heart himself is this orphan, widow, and stranger. Therefore, love for the law of God expressed in love for an orphan, for a widow, and a stranger will be evidence that a person is afraid of God as his legislator, he serves God, clings to God, and swears by the name of God. In the images of the law, the category of an orphan, orphan, a widow, and a stranger, where the heir is a future benefits related to the body of Christ, the image of which is the bride of the Lamb. The state of an orphan is a testimony that a given person, through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, has died to his household. And of Levi he said, Let your Thummim and dear Urim be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massa, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. What is the state of a widow? It is evidence that a given person has died to his old nature, which, through sin, expressed in the corrupt and selfish desires of a person, ruled over a person in the status of his husband. Very few Christians want to hear about the cross. I will provide an example. I was in a Polish city before, and a person, the person with whom I went there, held on to the teaching at that time, the teaching of our Apostle. And he preached to a big group of young people who went out from the Catholic temple. They went out from the Catholic service. There were about 80, 80 people there. And they rejoiced when they heard about grace, when they heard about the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ washes sins. For them, this was wonderful to hear. But when they began to hear about the cross, they all grew dim. It turns out that they also needed to pay a price. They ran around with flags. There were different slogans that were written on these flags. They jumped. They rejoiced under music. But when they heard about the word of the cross, they completely changed in behavior. It turns out that there is something else that must be lost, not just to accept something for ourselves so that it is good to you, but to also lose something. The state of a widow is evidence that this person died to his old nature, which, through sin, expressing the corrupt and the selfish desires of a person, ruled over a person in the status of his husband. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. 
Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. Apostle says that it is impossible to communicate with Christ while the old man lives, and if this communication does occur, then this is called as adultery. If her husband dies, she is freed from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Only when we can offer fruit to God, when we die to our old man. What is the state of a stranger? It is evidence that a person died to his people, who in their culture were guided by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-16 through 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Only after fulfillment of this requirement, expressed in the circumcision of the heart, which will become the owner of the state of an orphan, widow, and stranger, we will have legal power and the right to be clothed into the new person, or the new man. The second step for the possession of the legal authority which gives us the right to observe the law of God in order to be clothed in the redemption of God in the face of our new man, created according to God in Christ Jesus, is our age, which coincides with the full measure of the stature of Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1-2 through two. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Apostle Sells, we know that this kind of steward and guardian is the law of Moses. It was a guard, or rather a leader to Christ. Again, he says that when a person is born, he is in infancy. Apostle Paul says this is infancy. When the time comes from him to leave infancy, when he is swayed by all kinds of winds of teachings and he does not exit out of this, then a person is turned into, uh, begins to have a carnal state. Let us take a look at what a carnal person is. He becomes carnal, and a carnal person does not run around just anyone. He now has his own head, which is an organ of stumbling. He has his own deity. He turned his intellect and his own deity. And a carnal person says, I don't understand it in this way. My Bible does not tell me this. Maturity is the ability through communication with the saints to grow oneself, to build oneself in love to the body of Christ in the face of the bride of the Lamb to make oneself a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. And such an ability is acquired through the abandonment of infancy. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So these people are called to bring us to perfection. 
till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So, when we stop saying, I have my own head, my own Bible, I don't understand this in this way, and when we are based on what God has opened to our pastor, all of us are in unanimity with Him in this. We ought to grow in the full knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, or from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The third step for the possession of legal authority which gives us the right to observe the law of God in order to be clothed in the redemption of God in the face of our new man, created according to God in Christ Jesus, is the acceptance of the Holy Spirit as Lord and ruler of our life. Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Of course, the Holy Spirit can give revelation in the heart of a person only under one condition, when a person has tied himself to the Holy Spirit on the terms of the covenant made with God, in order to be led by the Holy Spirit within the boundaries of this covenant. Many desire to be led by the Holy Spirit according to their own understanding, they say, I have my own anointing. And these kind of people, in fact, there are many of them, they say, well, why out till I listen to someone? I have my own anointing. Does not anointing teach you? It is written in the Bible. But here we are talking about how the most central anointing, the Word of God, that which is going to build faith in us, it is poured out from one specific place. This is the place where the anointed one preaches who has been established and appointed over the church, where the Father preaches, where from his lips comes the word of God. And when a person says, I have my own anointing, and God has opened to me, and he has opened to me about the whole church, well, who are you? Are you a pastor of a church? You are not. Who has allowed you to say these kinds of things? Sit down and be quiet. You're, you ought to sit and be taught if you are capable of even being taught still. Of course, the Holy Spirit can give revelation in the heart of a person only under one condition. When a person has tied himself to the Holy Spirit, I'm again just reading this a second time. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. The fourth step for the possession of the legal authority which gives the right to observe the law of God in order to be clothed in the redemption of God in the face of our new man, created according to God in Christ Jesus, is casting out of the inheritance the slave and her son. 
Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be the heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. The image of a slave in the man of God representing his concubine is the image of his soul that has not been lost in the death of the Lord Jesus. And the image of the son of the bondwoman is the image of the fruit found in collaboration with the strength and capabilities of the soul that has not been lost in the death of the Lord Jesus. When a person has this kind of fruit, he thinks that he is serving God. In fact, he is doing evil. They have their own understanding of good and evil. All that comes from the flesh and is inspired by the flesh in the motives of a person for service or ministry to God or someone else, God views this as evil. Only when this comes from God, when this comes from the teaching, when a person loves the law of God, he knows how to practice good, because to do good is to fulfill the will of God according to Scripture. We still have a little bit of time. I will then turn to the third sign according to which we can test ourselves for the subject of the demonstration of brotherly love that discovers itself. It is according to the collaboration of our mind renewed by the spirit of our mind with the superior wisdom of God. I, superior wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 12 and 17. Apostle says that he who searches for the wisdom of God and the faith of God, in the words of the messenger of God, he will find it. It is not said that a person is going to dig himself like an excavator, burying himself in, in his digging, but this says that in the words of the messengers of God, this person will find this wisdom. And he who loves this word and inclines his ear, rejecting his will for the benefit of fulfilling the will of God. The parables say, him I love, and him who searches for me will find me. The superior wisdom of God in the format of the fear of the Lord contained in our good heart, in the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ, and in the face of the Holy Spirit, revealing truth in the heart, can dwell with the mind only under one condition. When our mind, by the power of the resurrection of Christ, is renewed by the spirit of our mind, which makes it capable of reasoning over truth contained in the heart and verifying this truth with the truth of the Word of God. Apostle says that for this goal, it is necessary for us to have in our heart the definition of the superior wisdom of God so that we could distinguish it from wisdom that is earthly, carnal, and demonic. There is earthly wisdom, carnal, and demonic, and there is wisdom that comes from above which is defined as the Word of God that is contained in our heart, or the fear of the Lord, which represents this wisdom. It is written, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, Who is wise and understanding among you? 
let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Apostle says that wisdom always represents itself in meekness. Meekness is the bridling of our tongue with the law of the Most High, with the word of the Most High. Furthermore, we read, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So you see, we must grow this fruit of righteousness. When God makes a covenant with us, He makes it in the format of a seed, and we must grow it and affirm this covenant. The phrase, who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom, tells us that not all refrain is the expression of wise meekness. Sometimes a person refrains not because he is wise, but because he does not know what he, what he should say or do in the circumstance or in the current situation. In this place of scripture is presented the fruit of the Spirit grown from the collaboration of our renewed thinking with wisdom that comes to our heart from above. And based on the character of this fruit, we should define the character of wisdom from above, which by nature is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Therefore, based on the concluding phrase, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, it follows that the ability for our renewed thinking to collaborate with the wisdom that comes from above is possible only upon fulfilling three conditions, giving us the ability to keep faithfulness in a covenant of peace made with God. First, if we have cleansed our conscience of dead works, second, if we carried into its depths the conditions of a covenant of peace made with God in water baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and baptism in fire, and third, if we keep faithfulness to the covenant of peace made with God. Fulfillment of these three conditions gives the soil of our heart the ability to accept the seed of righteousness as well as grow the seed into the fruit of righteousness and showing in our faith love for God, which discovers itself in the power of brotherly love. When our conscience, through collaboration of our renewed thinking with wisdom from above, is cleansed from dead works, and in its depths is established a covenant of peace with God, our renewed mind receives the ability to be clothed in the powers of a wise king, who is to cleanse our body from the wicked thoughts and desires of the flesh, in order to prepare it for the clothing of Christ's resurrection in the face of our new man. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 26. A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. When studying our mind, renewed by the speed of our mind in the dignity of a wise king, it is worth noting that there exists a large stratum of people among the people of God who have rational capabilities that are not renewed by the spirit of their mind, which are defined 
by scripture as a foolish king. And this kind of king was Saul, who, apart from King David, refused to renew his thinking with the spirit of his mind, so that God could receive the basis to affirm him or establish him as king. Scripture states that from a foolish king representing our mind, not renewed by the spirit of our mind, our earth, in the dignity of our body, is perturbed, perturbed and it cannot bear it up. For three things the earth is perturbed our body. Yes, for four, it cannot bear up. For a servant, when he is made a king, a fool, when he is filled with bread, a shameful woman, when she is married, and a maidservant, who succeeds her mistress. First, the mind of Saul was the servant of sin and was found in full dependence on the old man living in his body when God, through Samuel, anointed him king over Israel. Israel rejected the authority of Samuel over themselves as king, representing for them the authority of God. Due to this, God gave them King Saul in his anger, and then took him away in his wrath, because the earth could not bear up or carry this king. Hosea chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be your king. Where is any other that he may save you in all your cities? And your judges to whom you said, Give me a king and princes? I give you a king in my anger, and took him away in my wrath. To demonstrate the power of brotherly love in our faith, relations between God and the man born of God must be made dependent on demonstrating our love for God. And in this case, love for God that we are called to show in our faith in the power of brotherly love, what is it comprised of? It is comprised of the fact that a person rejects his foolish king in the subject of his fleshly mind in order to accept a wise king in the face of his innermost man in the dignity of the mind of Christ, which will give God the basis to pour out on this person his selective love agape, and for a person, it gives him the ability to demonstrate the power of brotherly love in his faith. Second, for three things the earth is perturbed. Yes, for four it cannot bear up. For a servant, when he is made a king, a fool, when he is filled with bread. A servant, or the mind that is filled with bread, is the mind of a fleshly person who depends on money and uses the principles of faith to improve his material state. But principles of faith are given to us to have authority over money, behind which stands a demonic king, Mammon. And if authority of money over us is the root of all evil or the mark of the beast on our foreheads, then authority over money is the root of all good or the seal of God on our foreheads. Apostle says that when we honor God with tithes and offerings, this is the seal of God on our foreheads. When we demonstrate our love for God and that we honor Him with tithes and offerings, not pay tithes and offerings, but when we honor Him with tithes and offerings, we reject the authority of money over ourselves that we could rule over money. In demonstrating this kind of love for God, God receives the basis to pour out on us His love agape, the power of which we are called to demonstrate in brotherly love. 
I think we may have to conclude here. We have the notes available. If we simply needed to just listen to the sermon during service, then we would not be disciples. A disciple is him who receives homework and having listened uh, to certain information at his lesson, he goes home, he he works with this information and does his homework. If we simply listen to the word in service, we won't be able to offer fruit. Why? Because we won't be able to understand the word. In order to understand, it's necessary for us to be immersed in it, in studying the word of God, that which the anointed one has told us, because from this faith grows in us and we grow. We grow in order to be able to love the law of God. We, my dear ones, are going to uh, step to, to prayer. Blessed is God our Almighty. We again come to you through the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the righteousness and justification, for the word, for the blood, for the Holy Spirit, for the mercy that is unchanging in Christ Jesus, for your goodness and severity to us and our homes in Christ Jesus. We thank you that our names are written in the book of life of the Lamb and are written in heaven. We thank you that in Christ Jesus you have seen us and have presented us before yourself as holy, unblemished, blameless, as wise and perfect, as kings and priests, as heirs, co-heirs with Christ. We thank you for the opportunity that we are able to know you through your word, through your heights and your depth, your width and length, so that we can know the love of Christ, which is greater than the understanding of the intellect of a person, and for us to be filled with all of your fullness. Our Father, may upon us all the blessings and promises of you, and may all of the curses be on the souls of our enemies, and it may be fulfilled upon them in the name of Christ. Let us walk in the light, just as you are in the light. And may let us have fellowship with one another, so that the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, so that it washes us from all sin. May be a salt and light, our Father. We thank you. We thank you that you have adopted our bodies, purchased by the precious blood of Christ. Let inner bodies reign the power of life and the power of death. Let it be cast into hell. We thank you that we are able to be immersed, immersed in your word, that your word, so that it could be our life, our breath, our Lord. We thank you that through the lips of the apostle you have sent in our life, we have been able to accept your divine order presented to us, your theocracy, that we have been able, through the word, to gain the righteousness of God in the broken tablets of testimony, and in the new tablets of testimony, in the resurrection of Christ, we received justification. Our Father, we thank you that through the preached word, we have been able to accept and submit our faith to the faith of God. We have been become sons of God, sons of peace. And through this, we entered into the covenant of peace. 
Our Father, we thank you that we are taught to proclaim the faith of our heart and to call the inexistent as already existent, because this has already been fulfilled for you. We thank you for the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or selective love of God. We thank you for the for calling to show in brotherly love the love of God, agape. We thank you for the capability to deal with the case of the poor and needy in court and to stand on the side of our new man and to condemn the old man. We thank you for the lack in our heart of the organ of stumbling because you have taught us through the apostle to love your law and there is no stumbling in us. We thank you for the collaboration of our mind with the that has been renewed with the spirit of our mind, with your wisdom. We thank you that according to the word of the Apostle, we have been able to reject the foolish king in the face of our fleshly mind, and we have accepted the wise king in the face of our innermost man, in the dignity of the mind of Christ. We thank you for the seal on our foreheads and in our capability to honor you with tithes and offerings, not to pay tithes and offerings to you, but to honor you with tithes and offerings. That we have deprived the foolish king, this servant, the ability to eat bread that does not belong to him. We thank you that our soul is able to be a help to us and have on it the sign of circumcision and make a union with our innermost man. We thank you that through the teaching of the apostle, we can and have placed our feelings dependent on our renewed mind. And we do not allow this sea of emotions to leave its banks. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with unblemished joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen.